the book of James here pretty soon. Um, we are in chapter 5. Um, we're going to look at verses 7 through 11. And I wanted to, before we get into that, I wanted to mention this is after the end of chapter 4 where James has talked about um, those, um, like in verse 13 of chapter 4, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will uh, do such and such a, in, in such and such a city, we'll go there, we'll spend a year there, they pick the place, they pick the t uh, time or the duration, and they pick what they're going to do, engaged in business, and they make a profit, uh, making money is what their goal is, and he goes on to say, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. It's just a vapor, and it appears for a little while, and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if you if the Lord wills. And so he kind of has this about, he has this part at the end of chapter four about those who plan things and plan this life and plan to make money. Their, their plans are all set. They've got that five-year plan or whatever. And the Lord is not included in that plan. They're just going to go on and they're going to do their thing. Um, and then in the beginning of chapter five, he talks about the rich, the wicked rich. Come on now, you rich who weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. And he talks about those that, that place all of their value in life on what they can get here on this earth, in gold and in silver and in clothes. And, and they put all their efforts in, in getting these things that simply will not last. All the things of the earth, all the things that are uh, attractive and he's going to contrast that now as we go in exhortation uh, to not live that way. And I got trying to think of an illustration about how we could contrast that a little bit that would be good for us to think about. Because this is really about what we're going to talk about tonight. And James is going to talk to us about this. And I, this is just what the Lord laid on my heart this week, what he was trying to tell us. The, the cure for a restless heart. The cure for a restless heart. And I thought about my chickens. They're restless. You know, they have a nice pinned-in area. It's not real fancy. In fact, the ground's kind of barren. But it's safe. And I feed them. I even give them scratch grains as a treat. They love the scratch grains. But they're always out there scratching around and looking all the time for something to eat. And if one of them gets a worm... The others chase him down to try to get part of that worm from him. And the craziest thing they do in their restlessness is they go to the edge of the fence, and on the other side of the fence is greener grass, they think. And they stick their little heads through the holes in the fence and stretch their necks as far as they can to get some grass out of the other side of the fence. I mean, it's just like us, isn't it, sometimes? The grass is always greener on the other side of that fence. But there's danger on the other side of the fence, and he's called Toby. <laughs> Toby's one mission in life is to keep them inside the fence. This week I had a couple of them get outside the fence, and they felt the wrath of Toby. Chasing them down, pinning them down. He doesn't mean to hurt them, but he's a big boy. But they always are looking to the other side of the fence, that restlessness that they always have. And I thought, you know, we see in our world today restless people. And they're, you know what I think they're looking for is they're looking to be satisfied. And they're looking what will satisfy them. Maybe it's sticking their head through the fence on the other side. 
Maybe it's riches and gold and silver that will not last, but I can at least be satisfied. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's power. All kinds of things. People live restlessly in our world today. And James wants us to know that the cure for the restless life is right here in this passage. And we should, as believers, not live a restless life. Sure, we can be anxious for things. And we are anxious for some things. Sometimes I'm anxious about how long is it going to take you to get your hair fixed so we could go. And I need to learn what James is going to tell us tonight. Patience. Patience. The cure for a restless heart. We're going to look at three points tonight. An explanation of patience, an exhortation to be patient, and an example of patience. And then I want to look at three things just quickly that... I think, can help us with that cure for the restless heart. Three points at the end of this. But let's let's, uh, read our passage here in a a second. But I want to begin tonight, um, and I think this speaks well to this, of uh, an encouragement to to look to the right things in Psalm 37. And it's kind of a long psalm. I don't know that we'll read it all. We'll We'll see where we want to stop at there. But Psalm 37. Security for those who trust in the Lord and insecurity of the wicked or those that seek things that are, that are not going to last, those things that are uh, of this world and an exhortation uh, not, to, not to be restless and not to be anxious. Uh, Psalm 37, beginning with verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I I like that one so much. I read that over and over this week. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. You want to work? I think some say that, uh, that James was a farmer. And I think this goes right along with that, cultivating faithfulness, just working at being faithful to the task and to the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. James is going to speak to that. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. You know, James said in chapter 1, he said, the, the, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Or fretting over those things and getting all hot-tempered and hot under the collar does not really cultivate righteousness or accomplish the righteousness of God. You know, there's, that's a sign of restlessness in our world today. People get angry quickly. People just lose their temper quickly today and just are impatient over life itself. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. That's a good reason not to fret. It only leads to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord they will inherit the land. Yet a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves 
in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, and he, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy, to slay those who are upright in conduct. Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bows will be broken. Better is a little of righteousness than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. I like that verse a lot, too. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. He has our days planned and numbered. And their inheritance, our inheritance is... Those who trust in the Lord, our inheritance doesn't have an end. It's forever because it's with the Lord. They will not be ashamed in the time of evil. In the days of famine, they will have an abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the uh, pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. For those blessed by him will inherit the land, but those Cursed by him will be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurried, hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. Bill, aren't you glad of that? When you hurl headlong, the Lord held your hand. I think that just that's a good that's a good thing. He's right there for us all the time. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken and his descendants begging bread. All day long, he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. Depart from evil and do good. If you know what James said, if you know what is the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. But do what's good. Depart from evil and do what's good. When you know the right thing to do, do it. So you will, be, uh, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. Amen to that. Amen to that. They will dwell forever. In the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. I like that one too. The law of God is in his heart. He steps His steps do not slip. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand or let him be condemned when he is judged. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off, and you will see it. I have seen a wicked man, a violent man, spent spreading himself out like a luxurious tree in its native soil. Then he passed away, and lo, he was no more. I sought for him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man, and behold the upright, for the man of peace will have posterity, posterity, but transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off, but the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is the strength in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them and the wicked from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. I want to encourage you tonight. It may look greener on the other side of the fence, but real safety is taking refuge right where you are in the Lord. Right where you are.
Submit to him and acknowledge him and praise him. Our passage tonight, verses 7 through 11 in James chapter 5. Therefore, therefore, he's talking about what's come before in the beginning. The rich, the wicked rich, they should be miserable. Their things are are not going to last. They're going to rust. They're going to rot. They testify against them. The people that they have defrauded and the people they have cheated that worked for them, that they've withheld their pay, has come up as a witness before the Lord of the Sabbath, and he will bring justice They've lived luxuriously on the earth, and that's all they've gotten. They've lived in wanton pleasure. They fatten their day, their hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man, but that will not last forever. The Lord will bring justice. The righteous man does not resist him. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the produce, precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourself may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and merciful. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together and for uh, your word before us. Um, We look to you and we look to this written revelation from you to us tonight. So Lord, we, we want to be resolved and rested in our confidence in you. Uh, Lord, if we have an anxious heart, if we have a restless heart, Lord, uh, deal with us each individually tonight with your word. Um, Help us to see a clearer picture of all that you have accomplished for us, um, all that you have planned for us, and Lord, let us um, be confident in you and not in ourselves. Uh, Let us look to you in a greater way of commitment and love and trust tonight as we study these passages together, or this passage together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, first of all, he says, therefore, be patient, be patient. And that word patient, it really means be long-tempered, be long-tempered. He's already mentioned that. I mentioned that in chapter one. He says, the anger of man does not, does not achieve the righteousness of God. And he says, be long-tempered, brother, be patient, long-tempered, waiting for the Lord, uh, waiting for his timing, waiting for him to appear. And he's going to talk about that, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That coming of the Lord is the word parousa. And that word is used about 500 times in Scripture. And that word parousa doesn't mean, it means the appearing of but it doesn't, it means more than the appearing. It means the appearing and his presence is here. So he said, be patient for the appearing or until the coming of the Lord. And he's going to talk about that as a motivation, this coming of the Lord. Be patient 
for the parousia, the coming and the presence of the Lord. And as an example here, an explanation of patience, he talks about a farmer. I mentioned already that some think James was a farmer, and there's many references to the seed. He talks about in uh, chapter 3 at the end there, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he gives an example here of the farmer. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil. The precious produce. This is his livelihood. I put out a garden every year, a little bit of a garden, and I wait for the precious produce, and I don't get much of a return on the, on the seeds. But the seeds themselves, they're, they're an amazing thing in the design of God. You can take all kinds of seeds. I'm always amazed that you plant a garden in different types of seeds, but inside that seed is the DNA or whatever you want to call it for that plant. And how did that get in there? God put it there. And that seed is in the ground. And that seed dies. And out of that seed comes a sprout. And it could be, if you don't know what you're planting, you'll soon find out because each seed will produce what DNA or what God has planned for that little seed to die and to bring a plant about, whether it's a tomato, whether it's a green bean. But it's an amazing thing, isn't it? And you plant that thing. I plant, I till my garden, I fertilize my garden, and I put those things in the ground. And then you know what I do? Wait. I can do no more after I planted those seeds. You know who it's up to now? God. God causes the growth. God has designed the seed to produce. I can do no more than to put it in the ground and then wait patiently. He says, here's an example. The farmer waits for that precious produce of the soil to have something grow that he can sell, to, to feed his family, whatever it might be. He waits for that precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. The early rains came in the fall after he planted in Israel, and then the, the spring rains would come, and then after the spring rains, the crop would be ready. But what is he doing the whole time? Waiting. Waiting patiently, being long-tempered. A fit throne is not going to make the seeds grow. Uh, an ill-tempered farmer is not going to get a better crop. To wait patiently. Wait for that promise to come, the appearance of the seeds, like the appearance of the Lord. You wait patiently for the perusa, for the coming and the appearance of the Lord, the presence of the Lord to come. He can't do, can do nothing about it, but watch and wait and wait for the rains that the Lord sends and ask that the Lord would send those. So he says, you too be patient. You too be patient. Be patient as an, as an exhortation here. He now says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Uh, I read a little bit about that this week. You know, here's, here he talks about this again. The coming of the Lord is near. We don't know when that is. But I'll tell you what I do know. We're one day closer today than we were yesterday. And we'll be one place day closer tomorrow than we are today. And we don't know when that will come. I read an illustration this week of a, a servant that a, in a foreign country, a man went there, and the servant prepared the table lavishly, dishes, silverware, cups, every day. He did that, and no one used them. And he asked him the third day, he says, why do you set that table so lavishly every day? He goes, well, my master's away on a trip and he'll soon return. I just don't know the day, so I always want to be ready. 
for the day that he returns. And here it is. It says, you too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. That, that strengthening of your hearts mean, means establish, confirm, uh, check your heart and check your, your motives. Uh, I think it says in Peter that we should examine our own hearts and make sure our calling and election, make sure of our salvation. Make sure of those things. Strengthen your heart in the word of God. Strengthen your heart as you spend time in prayer. But be patient, be long-tempered. And strengthen your heart with daily dependence upon the Lord. Establish your heart in the Lord's word and in memorization and and looking to him. For that day is near and you and I don't know when that is going to be. But be ready for that day. Don't be sticking your head through the fence looking to the greener side of life. Look for the Lord and wait patiently for him. And you know, this word patient is a different word too than he used for endurance or waiting in the first part. Those were talking about circumstances. Here he's also talking, this, this patience means with people, with, with other people too. Being patient, not only in circumstances, but being patient with people. Being patient with those around us and not flying off the handle. Remember we've said the anger doesn't, of man doesn't achieve the righteousness of God. But he says, you too, be patient, be long-tempered, strengthen your hearts with God's word and with prayer and with, with fellowship with other believers, confirm your salvation, check your motives, check to see that you're doing things in, according to God's will and according to his uh, value for eternity, not for this world, for the Lord is near. And he says, do not complain. And that word complain means to murmur. And you know, it means more it can, mean, it can mean gossip. It can mean talking about somebody behind their back. But you know what the base of that really means? That murmur? That murmur is, is really an attitude. You look at somebody and you just go, it's a sigh. Just, why, would they do that? why would they act like that? I'm just fed up with them. It's, just, it's more than words. It's a motive in our hearts. It's an attitude. It's a, it's a, it's a feeling of, of wanting what someone else has. And he's already told us there in chapter 3, for every jealous and selfish ambition where it exists, there is disorder and every kind of evil. There is the wisdom from the world that is earthly, that is of the world, that is of the flesh, and that is demonic. You know what it comes down to? It comes down to just looking at somebody. You don't even have to say anything and saying. How did he get that? I wished I had that. Why would he have it better than me? That's just a sigh, just, just a grumbling in our hearts of impatience, of wanting what, what I don't have or wanting what someone else has simply because they have that. Don't complain, he says, brethren, against one another, so that you yourself may not be judged. And I think that simply speaks to this exhortation to be patient is to be practicing patience, to strengthen our hearts, and to know that the Lord knows what you say, and he also knows when you just sigh. The Lord knows that motive in our hearts. And one day, the Lord will judge not only our actions and our words, but he will judge the motives of our hearts. Be patient. Look to him first, and then we're going to look at some... 
some things about being patient and restless that I hope will help us tonight. But he says here is an exhortation, don't complain. Don't just sigh and moan and don't look at others, brethren, as, and, and every kind of evil and every kind of disorder exists there in that. So you yourself won't be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. He is right there. God sees, and he wants us to be people of integrity, to not uh, exhaust ourselves seeking after things that are, are worthless, but be satisfied with what we had. We looked at that last week. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't grumble. Don't sigh against one another. An exhortation focused on eternity soon to be revealed focusing on the coming of the Lord, the Perusa, not only his appearing, but his presence. And we'll stand with him and stand before him, for everyone will stand before him one day. As an example, brethren, as an example, oh, I, I wanted to quote this. I, I wrote this down, too, about the, the coming. Uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan said this, to me, the second coming is the perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. To me, the second coming is a perpetual light on the path which makes the present bearable. That's a good thought, that we are always looking for him. We're always ready, waiting for him, anxious for him to come. Um, so here we have in verse uh, 10, then, examples, 10 and 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And, you know, we could go back to... Um, Matthew chapter 5, I think I marked that here, Matthew chapter 5, and um, the Sermon on the Mount, kind of the end of that, uh, Jesus said he had, in fact, some people think that James's commentary was a lot on the Sermon on the Mount, a, a running commentary on what Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount, maybe he was there and heard that, or maybe he had that recorded and he wrote James as part of that running commentary on that. But there in verse 10, it says, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for the, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And here James says in verse uh, Ten, as an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Patience and endurance of those prophets. Think of some of the prophets. I went through a few this, this week in my, in my mind and in my study. Think of some of the men in the Old Testament. I, I looked at Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a task that was, in fact, he was known as the weeping prophet. He had, a, he had a task that was not really enviable. To go to a people with a message as a young man, and they simply would not listen. In fact, he ended up in the bottom of a well once in a mud pit. And there was a man that felt pity on him and saved him, but he had an unenviable task as any of the prophets. There were others that were called to go and to, to proclaim, thus saith the Lord. And what did they do to them? They persecuted them, some they killed, some they tossed into wells, they, they persecuted and they followed after them, some they killed and, and got rid of because they just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear what the Lord had to say. Um, 
I read this week too, uh, I, I like this statement of, of perseverance and patience is simply this, take hold, hang on, and never let go. Take hold, hang on, and never let go. And you know, I think sometimes we as believers, we trust in the Lord, we resolve to do that, but when times get tough and we, we look at what other people get, sometimes we, we loosen our grip. We loosen our grip on our studies of God's word and we loosen our grips on the trust and the promises of God. Don't do that. Hang on tight to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. And you know how you do that? Just spend time with him. Many times I, we talk to kids about being friends with God and I'll ask a, a child and I go, do you have a best friend? Sure I do. I have a best buddy. He's my best friend. How did he get to be your best friend? You know what they'll inevitably say to me? Because we hang out together. We spend time together. And I hope you spend a lot of time hanging out with Jesus and just talking to him and just telling him, you know what the best thing to tell him? And I, I think it's that, that you love him and that you can't believe that he loved you enough to come and save you and just grow closer in your knowledge of his great love for you and and just revel in that the prophets of old he says here's an example they 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 were suffering prophets they spoke in the name of the lord but a lot of people didn't listen in fact they were persecuted for that but they did exactly what we just said they took hold they hung on and they never let go and they followed the lord faithfully patiently enduring those things that were brought about for them. Here's an example, he says, of patience. And he says, we, can, we count those blessed. We count those blessed uh, who endured, who have, you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. I'm reading through the book of Job right now in the mornings. I'll just admit it to you. I don't understand the whole picture here. And I think that's where I think that's where Job landed in the end and kind of in the middle. I was just reading, you know, he said in the middle of all this, I can't imagine losing all my possessions, all my family, and my health for a while. And the heartache of that, but he never lost the integrity of his heart for the Lord. Oh, sure, he questioned some things. Oh, sure, he maybe even doubted in his heart a few things. But he always came back to, no matter what, I've taken hold, I'll hang on, and I won't let go of God. And I'll stay right here. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will see the Lord in his salvation. And in the end, he came to the understanding with patience and endurance that the Lord knows best. And we don't understand everything that the Lord does. But he, he understood what he was doing. And I think today, we know of the patience of Job. And he's been a great example in God's word for many generations of people who struggled with trust, who struggled with patience and endurance, who struggled with heartache, and yet came through those things with the joy of the Lord because they ended up saying, I may not know, but I still trust the Lord that he has my good in mind, that he has my eternal well-being 
in his heart, and he has brought that about, that I will not leave his presence ever. And I'll patiently wait for that. I'll patiently endure to see my Savior's face and know, first of all, the great price that he paid for the awfulness of my sin that I didn't deserve, and yet I'm here today, and he's not going to ask me to leave. It's not greener on the other side of the fence than that. It isn't. Because those things are just for today. And these things are for eternity. We count those blessed, he says. We count those blessed who we have endured. And you've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion. And you know that word compassion in the, in the Greek? The, the, the Jews looked at compassion or the, the mercy and grace as in the stomach, the bowels. And that word compassion here means many bowels. The Lord's compassion is many bowels. Sounds gross. But it's like the center of everything that he is, is compassion. Full of compassion. Everything that is there in the heart of God is compassion. The Lord is full, many bowels of compassion, of mercy. And he is merciful. At the center of his being is grace and love and compassion and mercy for those who humble themselves before him. So be patient. Be patient and wait upon the Lord. Wait for his dealings with you. Uh, That's the example that he gives us. Remember and count those things, uh, blessings that the Lord brings into your life, even though at the time they may not seem that way. They may not seem like a blessing to us at the time, but God has a plan and a purpose to grow us and to not harm us. Um, An application as we finish. Um, I want to give us three things that um, as we... That restlessness, the cure for that restless heart are things that we can, that we can look at and, and look to the Lord and look to his word and do. I want to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's start with verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the, certain, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope is not hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance and patience, we wait eagerly for it. He mentioned eagerly and waiting anxiously. I want to submit to you today that fix your hope and fix your attention eagerly 
on the parousia and the coming of the Lord and fix your attention on Jesus to come. I hope you're eager for that. I was reading this week a, a book and uh, some men in this book and during the Holocaust, you know, there were times they, they prayed as Jews, Lord, come now. Come right now. We need you now. Some of those men suffered and died horrible things, but they didn't give up that hope. Sure, they wanted the Lord back. And they waited eagerly for that. And we still today, we wait eagerly for that. I don't know the day, and you don't know the day. The Lord hasn't revealed that to us, but let us look eagerly to it. Anxiously. Not fretting, knowing that promise is sure and fixed. We wait as believers eagerly. Not fretting, not restless, but we wait anxiously to see the appearing of our Savior and see his coming, knowing that we will be free of this body, free of this struggle with our old nature, free from the presence of sin forever. Don't you think that's something that you eagerly want to see? I think it is. I think it is. Don't have a restless heart. Have an eager heart. Don't be anxious. Be eager to see him and always on the alert, always waiting, always ready, and always giving a blessing in the middle of others, not grumbling, not seeking your own, not sticking your head through the fence, looking for something else, looking for him. There is a blessing also in longing. And we're just not going to look at verse for that, but there is a blessing in longing for righteousness. There is hope in being reminded of the promises of God. Longing for those, many have been fulfilled, but there's others that haven't, that are still waiting. Are you longing and trusting the promises of God to be fulfilled? The Lord has many precious promises in his word. Just do a study and look up promises and and go through them and see what the Lord has promised you and, and focus on them. Don't be restless. Be longing for the fulfillment of the Lord's promises to you and me. He's promised many things. The disciples in chapter 13 of John, they were anxious and restless. Jesus, you're leaving us? Where are you going? Can we go? When are you going to leave? Why are you going to leave? How are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Do we have a ticket to get there? And Jesus said, what? In verse 1 of chapter 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. I'm going, but I'm coming back for you. And where I am, I'll take you to be with me. Don't be restless about that. Just trust me that I'm coming back. There's a promise that we don't need to fret about, that we don't need to be anxious over. We just need to long for it, eagerly waiting to see him and longing for the promises of God to be fulfilled to us, and they will The hope that we have in the Bible is the sure expectation that what God has said is already done. It just hasn't happened yet. It's already accomplished. And lastly, I'm going to turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3. Start um, 
Let's start in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in your love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. So we love one another. Jesus said, how will they know you're my disciples? By your love for one another. But he also says here, and your love for all people. Love for all people, the lost. Love for the lost. Love for those that are restless and, and anxious and, and looking to have that satisfying thing that will last forever. And we know what the answer to that is. It's Jesus. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness. See, if we're loving him as we should, for the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Here he says, love the Lord and also love one another and love all people, and the Lord will establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. I'll tell you what will settle your heart and from being restless is to love the Lord and have a love for others in the family of God and have a love for others in soul winning that are lost and restless in our world today. That'll calm a restless heart, the love for the Lord and the love for others. And to share with them the good news of the gospel. God settles our hearts when we're eager, when we're longing, when we're loving and sharing. He settles our hearts and he strengthens our faith. And we aren't restless people anymore. We're people, we're people of the book. We're people that are children of God. And we know the truth and we long to see our Savior. And we're eager for that. And we want to take as many people with us as possible. We want to take as many people with us as possible. Those are some cures for a restless heart. And you know what the, just the bottom of the line is? The Lord gives, his, the Lord gives us his spirit that lives within us. And that spirit that lives within us is a patient spirit. A patient spirit that wants to, wants to follow after the Lord. And that patient spirit is an evidence that we are not restless people. We are God's people. And I would encourage you tonight to, to start checking the sky in an eager fashion. To check the promises of God and long for them to, to be fulfilled. And to ask the Lord to have that love for him and love for others increase in your life. And, and, and to grow. And he says, and the Lord will establish your heart. Not restless, but establish steadfast on solid ground. Living for the Lord each day and following after him. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for your word and for all that you bring to us each week. Uh, in study and, and in insights and in wisdom. We look to you. We look to you first of all. We're not looking outside the fence. We're not looking other places. We first look to you. And we, we, want to, we want to be settled in our faith, established in our hearts, knowing the truth from your word, and we trust it, uh, come what may, in the circumstances and in the people around us, help us to be that patient, enduring, uh, 
child of God that you want us to be. And we'll give you the praise for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.